0: Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Clashing Identidades podcast. Uh, my name is Raz Guevara. Uh, I, along with my co-host Eduardo Solis, say hello, Eduardo. Hello, people. Um, <laughs> uh, we are here for our continued conversation about education, uh, New York, and our own personal stories of being Mexican-born New Yorkers, kind of navigating our professional careers. And we, episode one was a wonderful conversation, a very raw very emotional conversation between Eduardo and I about telling our stories, a little bit about our history, um, a little bit about our our struggle as undocumented students here in New York. Um, Eduardo, tell me a little bit about the feedback that you received from, you know, friends and family or or co-workers that you received after our first episode.
1: Um, I mean, a lot of people were really surprised to hear us talking about those things, you know, especially people that I've known since middle school, right? Nobody knew. So, well, not a lot of people knew, but everybody was pretty um supportive and they were you know i guess content or happy like with somebody being so raw and honest like you said um and it came like a you know as a shock to to a lot of people because nobody expects you know people to share that at this level right on the internet spotify youtube whatever but um what i said to them is you know like this is like it's, it's it is for me like we have on our tag right it's an outlet but it's also Meant to be a resource for anyone going through this, so I've gotten in touch with a lot of people, kind of um, navigating the same circumstances, and also mentors of mine who knew about my situation. Um, they reached out to me and they said, you know, really proud of you guys both. You know, it's this is really necessary work, um, and yeah, I mean, I've just been trying to do what I can to reach people who are going through the same things, and I think this is helping a lot.
0: Uh, yeah, and listen, I. I work in sports media. I work in, in in a career that you seldom have the opportunity to have conversations outside of sports. Um and I heard from a lot of people who were like you were surprised um that I faced the ordeals that I faced. And I'm not here we're not here neither of us are are here uh to pat ourselves in the back or to or to you know, oh, look, we we've you know we've made a, we've made it despite all these struggles. We're not doing that at all. Um, and like you said, what we're trying to do is is just put up a beacon, right? Put up a beacon in the sky for people to see it. And I always go back to the analogy of the 16, 17 year old kid right now in remote learning at home, and and who may be undocumented, who may be struggling um, to you know struggling with this you know this this burden, this weight. Because being undocumented in this country is very difficult, and a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is. Um, there are no, there are no ways to compare it other than just not being a full, you know, existing in a proper space, not being fully, not being a full citizen, not being a citizen at all. Yeah, like no, there's a lot. Nobody
1: of- looks out for you, and whatever, like you, if you want help and whatever it is, you have to look for it. Right? That that's pretty much how I got um, connected with every, like all the organizations that have helped me. It's not because like people offered it to me. Like I look for those things, right? So you have to be really resourceful and sometimes it's hard, right? Cause you don't have support. So for me, sometimes it was hard, but I think when I thought about it, I just thought to myself, it would be harder if I don't do anything and just go through this by myself.
0: Um, you and I have talked a little bit at length about um, how it, this burden feels like, an, like it's an embarrassing little secret that you don't want to share with people. And what we're trying to do with this project is simple is say, look, it's not your fault, it's not an embarrassment, you, it's, it's a thing like no other. It's a, it's a struggle and an obstacle that you need to overcome. We've already been reached out to by a number of people who, who want to be a part of this conversation, um, for a number of reasons. Number one is they want to provide hope and inspiration for other people. But number two is they want to provide resources. There are a ton of resources that people might not be aware of. Um, and they want to come on the come on the podcast and kind of share some of those resources uh, with you and with anybody listening out there. Um, but while we're on the topic of the conversation of continuing the conversation of undocumented students, um, how would, there's a con- constant conversation going on right now about Joe Biden and the Biden administration's plan to legalize uh, or the pathway to citizenship for um, a number of people. Um, what would legalized immigration status mean to you? What would it do in the if tomorrow somebody says, Eduardo, you are now a full citizen? For an undocumented student, what does that mean? What does that mean in the short term and in the long term?
1: Um, for me right now, I, I don't. Honestly, I don't know what it means for me because I'm already like halfway there. Um, I mean, I'm guessing things would be like a little bit faster, you know, speed up because everything has been held back Um, even before COVID, right? Everything was held back because of Trump. Right. So now with COVID, everything is like extra, extra um, slow. But with Biden, I guess, you know, the hope would be for things to speed up. Um, But to me, honestly, I have no idea what it would mean. But for an undocumented student, you know, if I was still in college, it would probably mean I don't have to rely on getting internships with nonprofits, right? That's one of the things that really set me back in, in terms of my um, my financial career, I guess. You know, I want to go into finance later on, later on. But because, you know, all those, those firms like Deloitte, you know, like uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, all of those firms do recruiting at the university level. I couldn't participate in their internships, right, or any programs that they had. So now, um, after college, even though I already have a, well, it's not a full-time guaranteed but i'm, I'm working at vayner media right i'm still looking for um things that interest me um because at the end of the day right vayner can always say like hey you know thanks for your work these past three months but we're going to go with someone else right so what i'm doing now is like i'm still interviewing with, with bloomberg with deloitte with all these companies um and i couldn't do that for like four or five years right so i think for anyone who's um still an undocumented student that would be a huge benefit Um, not just because of their their career, but they can potentially get like uh, financial aid. They can get help from the universities themselves, right? So I think it would just be a positive overall and they'll be able to work, right? So uh, one of the struggles that I had was not being able to work um, legally. And it's tough, you know, like working as an undocumented person, there's so many things that go on at the workplace that nobody addresses because nobody knows how to, or they're afraid to, right? Um, And a lot of times, even like, if you, if people do know their, their, their bosses actually take, you know, they, they they reprimand them. Right. So, or they just don't pay you or whatever. Like I, it never happened to me, thankfully, but I know um, firsthand it happened to my uncle, to my stepdad. Right. So you just never know what happens.
0: Yeah, no, uh, listen, man, uh, I mean, it seems that the Biden administration has, is pledging uh, to do uh, some important work in the US Citizenship Act of 2021 should be, should be a great step forward um, for allowing people to come out of the shadows. Um, it's, it's very important for people to do their own research, for them to um, pay attention to exactly what's happening around with the laws. Um, every case is unique, every person is unique, every individual case uh, has to be treated on a case-by-case basis, because what's good, good for me what benefits me doesn't necessarily benefit Eduardo or doesn't necessarily benefit anybody from any different, you know, multiple different countries. Um, But I did wanna spend a little bit of time talking about the DACA program. Um, The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program um, was a Obama administration uh, creation. Uh, It instantly changed the lives of many, many people across this country. a relative, a very close relative in my family benefited from it. Um, I, I I did not benefit from it because I was already a permanent resident by the time the administration you know I was already married, I was already working. Um, but it was a beautiful thing to see people um, with the hope and the the opportunity of just coming out of the shadows is the way I describe it, right? It's like a lot of the things that my kids take for granted, or a lot of those tiny little milestones that that are celebrated in this country. There are movies made about kids getting their driver's license, right? It's a major plot point if in every coming of age story, um, and there are those things that you know that don't are not possible for undocumented people in this country, right? Getting your license for the first time, you know, going out for a drink at the age of twenty-one it's not something that undocumented people could do because they don't have an ID to go into a bar. And if you don't look old enough, they're not going to let you in. And trust me, that's, you know, that's, that's a memory that is robbed. That is a, like this, this part of you that is never fulfilled because, um, of the inability to accomplish these small, tiny menial tasks. Um, but are a huge part of, of, of every person's life. Like, um, But anyway, so DACA uh, was under attack under the Trump administration. Um, They went to to the Supreme Court to try to eradicate it, to try to minimize it. Um, And once they kind of all that failed, they just simply stopped taking applications. They were like, fine, we're not going to get rid of it. But you know what? We're not going to take applications. We're just going to take our sweet time. Um, And a lot of people were left in limbo, especially renewal applications. A lot of people uh, who were, you know, they're about to, their DACA application, was their status was about to expire and they needed to renew it, um, they were left in limbo. But now the Biden administration has pledged um, not only to fortify and preserve DACA, but again, like we were mentioning, this U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, that potentially creates a pathway to citizenship for millions and millions of people. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what your personal experience or any relative experience you've had with DACA, um, and what do you think of in the program as a whole?
1: I have no experience with DACA. I was not eligible to be part of that program because I left the country in 2008, right before Obama took office, and I came back in in 2010, right? So I wasn't eligible for that. Um, But yeah, pretty much like you said, uh, a lot of my friends um, who had that status were like left in limbo, they didn't know what was happening. Um, And, you know, thankfully, things ended up working out for them. They found the resources. um, But yeah, I mean, I don't really have any experience with that. I, I, I wish I had I had some sort of access to that. But who would have known, right, if I left in 2008, that that was going to happen, right? So I didn't know. Um, I came back, so I had to struggle to find the resources. But, you know, like we said in episode one, I was I was um, lucky enough or um, yeah, I was lucky enough to to be selected for various programs that allowed me to go to college. Right. They were they were my own little version of DACA for myself. Right. So um, they paid for my tuition and and, you know, I'm I'm really thankful for that. So I, um, I'm trying to work with them to see what I can do in terms of support their current students facing the same situations, or even just, um, reaching out with with information that they can share with their families.
0: Right. And again, DACA is not the end all be all. It's uh, and a lot of people think that oh, uh, they talk about dreamers, kids who were brought here like myself and like you, um, as children who who didn't have a say in the matter. And We talked a little bit about it in episode one, um, but DACA is not a permanent solution it's 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 meant to be yeah it's meant to be a stopgap um to uh you know a, a more permanent solution uh, enacted by congress um and and that's what we hope this uss us citizenship act of 2021 becomes that it becomes an opportunity um for people for dreamers for regular people and or regular undocumented people across this country to become um, permanent residents and american citizens um, because they come here, they work hard, um, they are, you know, targeted for abuse, they are targeted for abuse in the workplace, they don't have any recourses outside of nonprofits that work with people who, um, you know, who are workers, um, they are subject to scams from immigration lawyers, I have an uncle who who paid $6,000 to an immigration lawyer who ended up turning out to, to say, oh, yeah, I, I can't do anything about your case, your case is... Is difficult. So, I think, it's... You know, my
1: general advice for that, my bad for interrupting. No, 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 you're fine. One of, like I said, uh, one of the mentors um, who who has worked with me in the past, she was actually my immigration attorney at one point. Now we're really like, you know, we have a really close relationship. Um, and she started a, a YouTube channel with a few other, you know, members of the community who are also immigrants or who are also uh, immigration lawyers. And it's in Spanish. So, I'll put the link in, in here um, for our Spanish speaking uh, viewers. Um, but essentially, one of the things, one of the videos they, that they cover, one of the topics is don't pay anyone to do your immigration work because nobody can charge you for that. Like it should be done for free or if you are doing it, you should do it directly with a nonprofit doing it, with, a, with an attorney that's actually like you're certified or whatever, or just directly through the agencies by yourself. But don't pay anyone to do that type of work for you.
0: And look, every case, uh, listen, every case is different, right? And if you are going to go to see a lawyer... Spend a couple of minutes, like looking them up online, man. Listen, like the internet is the great equalizer. Uh, it might be the great divider in certain instances, but when it comes to research, doing research, basic research on people, and if people are complaining, listen, Yelp, Yelp reviews are, are like, trust them. Like if a thousand people are saying this, this lawyer is a crook and it's not good, you know trust trust those thousand people who are telling you not to uh but anyway yes you are 100 percent correct um there's a ton of non- non-profits who are doing magnificent work um we're going to highlight a few of them we're definitely going to every resource that we talk about on the podcast we're going to try to put links in the descriptions and definitely when we uh, tweet out and and put it in you know in social media um we're definitely going to attach those resources to there um one of the one of those um organizations that i that i was i'm doing a little bit of research before the show was immigrationhelp.org which is a nonprofit that helps uh, a nonprofit that helps you prepare your immigration forms for free like I had my uncle um done a little bit more research right and it's and i'm not blaming him you are never blaming the victim I mean, it, it,
1: the circumstances push you to those limits
0: right and you see a lawyer and you go to a fancy midtown office and you feel like this guy's legit right whereas a lot of these nonprofit offices are smaller and they're not you know in a fancy high-rise yep. building
1: they have the but- money but they 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 they're, 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 they're yeah
0: they're they're using it for the right things they're using it to get people you know legalized status or immigration status or immigration help and um but yeah immigrationhelp.org is a great organization um the new york immigrant coalition um is another one It provides information and services for immigrants such as you know le- leadership development uh,
1: I think st- they also have like little programs where they give you a, a living stipend for you to be a volunteer um yeah. It's not like a full-time wage, but they do provide some sort of help.
0: Yeah. My sister told me a little bit about uh, my sister called me, uh, after the podcast and she was like, she loved it. Um, she mentioned Catholic charities as well. There's a lot of work, a lot of work with, um, um, undocumented people and, and just immigrants as a whole. Catholic, shout out to Catholic charities, by the way, they do tremendous work across the board. Um, uh, I, when I in a previous life in a previous job, I worked for MSG varsity and, um, we covered a lot of um the um a lot of their work we went we would go whenever they would give scholarships out and contests and feeding the homeless and and just you know fundraisers for everything so uh, shout out to them they're doing fantastic work um but yeah man listen i'm excited i'm excited that um that our people are seeking us out and and we're not claiming to be experts right we're not claiming to be uh immigration experts we're not claiming we don't want people to listen to us and take everything that we're saying at face value. What we do are what we do have is personal experience. Um, what we do have is firsthand knowledge of what these um, things can do to people, right? We what we do have is first person experience of all the struggles that are currently people are currently facing right now, um, and that's what this podcast is is a little bit more. Than a resource it's it's an outlet for us and the, the way the tagline is perfect right we're we're an outlet we're a podcast we're a resource that's what we are this is therapy for us i felt very good after i our first episode it was like therapeutic to talk to you about it and to share my experiences and hear your experiences and learn about you and to, for you to learn about me um and we're hoping that that experience gets replicated with other people who are listening to us um, we're not here to say hey listen everything's gonna be hunky-dory Biden's gonna help us out. He's gonna hook us all up with, you know, citizenship. Cause that's not we know that's not the case. We know that's not how, you know, the world works. Um, but tell me, how did you feel after our first episode? How did you uh before we released it, before we got feedback, um, how did you feel getting some of that stuff off your chest?
1: Um I mean, I felt excited to see what the outcome would be. I, I felt pretty much energized to like keep moving forward. I mean you we had to push the podcast back a few days because you know, things happened. But every time that it was like, OK, we're recording today, I was like, oh, shit, let's go. Right. But we ended up pushing it back to like, I think right. today's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday night. Tuesday. We're recording um, on Tuesday night. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty happy to be helping people out, to be providing these resources, to talk about things so that, you know, people know that they're not alone and that they realize, OK, you know, what did that person do? How did they face it? And what can I do? What am I comfortable doing? Right. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy, pretty excited to be doing this. Like I said, I I. I can't think of any other words to describe it. I'm just um looking forward to to taking this journey and see how how far along we get, you know, how many episodes we get, maybe we develop this into something completely different, right? Um, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And and I, I'm I'm the same way, man. I was en- energized as well. I was pumped and and um the Eduardo's. Like, we stayed up
1: to like eleven or twelve doing the yeah. freaking the instagram the twitter everything you know <laughs> just sending it out but yeah I mean, no, we, I, I wasn't even
0: complaining I was happy right no it's and happy doing the work right and, and eduardo's being polite because I'm the reason why we pushed it back because we were supposed to record <laughs> we were supposed to record all the week over the weekend and I had something to do um and then we were supposed to record on Monday and it was my mother's birthday and I think you know uh so yes you're being modest but it's completely my fault that we pushed nah, it back. i so good man. I might cancel on you this weekend. I don't know. <laughs> oh man. So no, but yes, you're 100% correct. We um I'm energized. I'm invigorated. I mentioned it before in episode 1, but I work on, you know, other podcasts. I am, I produce videos um, you know, and that's my job, my day job. I produce videos that I'm very proud of, you know, things, you know, they could be from, you know, information about COVID and the vaccine to you know, you know, covering different events, sports highlights. There's a couple of different things that I do as my nine to five. And then I produce podcasts, um, uh, with, with uh, my partner and this company that we're starting called projectable podcast, uh, projectable productions, excuse me. Um, and we produce podcasts. We produce a couple of sports podcasts. Um, but this project is different. This project is personal. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's completely different. And the energy that I have for this is different it's it's not work it's it's important it's, kind of fun. it's, it's fun. fun it's relaxed yeah. i didn't realize and,
1: how, how how personal it was until i saw until i started getting feedback and i, until right, I right, saw right. your your twitter post i was like oh shit! i just told people my whole life
0: pretty much and and i don't know about you but it's like i've never been like that and i and i don't want to say that i have never been like that because of um, My upbringing or because of my undocumented status or maybe a combination of the two But I have never been an open book, right? Yeah, I have not nine...
1: something you can share like that,
0: right? It's not I have a nine-year-old son who Who is like this happy-go-lucky joyous child and many a times I see him and I wonder how I was like at that age, right? I remember thinking that at nine um, We had just uh, moved into our own apartment, like, because when we arrived, um, we lived with my grandmother, it was my mother, uh, my, my sister and I, and we were struggling to get by. If my, my, I rarely saw my mother because she was working long hours, um, as a seamstress in the garment district. And I was essentially being, yeah, I was essentially being raised by my grandmother. Um, but in reality I was by myself more often than not. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not see- like
1: just having the company. My bad, but uh, it's not just like being alone and like physically. It's like being alone right. with your thoughts. Like you can't really speak to anyone. Right. You know,
0: right? No, hundred percent. And it's like you know, you're in a, you're in a new country. You're trying to figure out the language. You're trying to figure out yourself. You're trying to grow, and you're trying to. Um, and then on top of all of that, um, you're trying you're trying to do it alone because of the struggle and the, and this just overwhelming loneliness that you feel. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I'm like, damn, I had like a, you know, that's, maybe that's why I went so hard into sports and maybe that's why I went to, you know, I, because I was looking for these outlets and we talked about it last time. It's it's the thing that helps us assimilate and adapt, but it's also the things that keeps us motivated and kind of keeps us engaged, entertained, because, you know, you're trying to distract yourself from the shitty life that you have. Right? Um had I been documented, would that have been different? No, because we were still poor. Right? We were still right. living in shitty ass Harlem apartment um where the electricity would go out every now and again. And uh, you know, I would think, oh, we got crappy wiring or something. No, it's like my mom didn't have money to pay the goddamn electricity, so the lag would go weird. Con Ed would shut us off. You know what I'm saying? It's like those things, and then now I see my son. And his biggest concern um, is when he doesn't have a book to read or when his charger on his iPad breaks or my son panics like has panic attacks because he has like a low grade on a test. but these are his concerns right And we talked about like struggling versus succeeding. You can't focus on succeeding when you're trying to survive and you're you know you're struggling. Um, so tell me a little bit about what your experience was. Like I know we you know you know it's similar to mine, and did you have that isolation? Did you have that kind of loneliness um as a child growing up?
1: Um so I, th- I think for me, it's a little different because I grew up for eight years you know in Mexico with my 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 grandparents, my cousins, you know my, my mom's siblings, so I was always surrounded by people. And that kind of didn't change that much when I first came to the u s because um we were with um my mom's cousins, so I had their kids around me, so I never really thought about those things and i was I was growing up i was I was a little kid, I think the pressures of life hadn't gotten to me yet, so i was I was like, okay, I was chilling for a little bit, but then the second time when I came um or even when I moved to Chicago when I was a little bit older, I just it's not that I was lonely. I was just always alone. <laughs> like I wasn't lonely. I wasn't sad. I was just always alone. You know, it was like it was normal for me because like one, I'm a I'm an only child. And two, Chicago was really rough. So my mom rarely let me go out. And if she did, she only let me go out to my, my neighbor. Like at that time, there was my two best friends. They were bro they were brothers. So they were either come to me or I would go to them. Right. So I was always I was always there. But Coming to New York is way different. It's way different because every, especially like if you think to like the summer or the spring, everybody's always on the block, you know, just shooting the shit. Right. Everybody, everybody knows each other. And when I moved here, I didn't know anyone. I, I was just like that kid who lived like in the middle of the block. Right. So literally, I would get up in the morning, go to school. And I went to a Catholic middle school. So we didn't enter like four p.m., four thirty, maybe. So by the time I got home, it was like six o'clock. I didn't have time to do anything. Right. I was just always school or at home I was doing homework and then high school came and I think that's when I started getting like a little bit more um more out there like in middle school yeah I had my friends and we hung out and everything but I'm still in middle school I can't do much right like there's not a lot that middle school kids can do now I, I I don't know I guess it's different now I'm not sure but then high school came and that's when I really like oh shit you know like people are inviting me out people invite me to parties i'm playing sports i'm you know i'm doing other other things outside of school right so um i don't think i ever like doubted myself or i ever got like really sad um i think that was mostly in the beginning because i didn't want to be here i wanted to be with my family right so um in the beginning like yeah i was sad um and i i was heartbroken pretty much um but then you kind of start getting used to useless it. it's, it's kind of like a like a breakup but not really you know like as time goes on not that you feel better you just get used to it. so it's like you don't you don't feel as heavy right that's the best way that i can think about it um and you know now it's i i have i guess at least i'm looking forward to my mom being able to go to mexico in, in a few years hopefully when she gets her things um straight and then me you know maybe in in a few years as well um and But it also makes me sad because I've lost so much time without my family, especially like my my grandma and my grandpa. Um, You know, they're old, right? My grandma's 82, my grandpa's 72. So I don't know if I'm gonna see them again. And to me, like, that's what hurts the most because they raised me with my mom, right? So, you know, they were there when I was born, they were there the first time I left, they were there when I came back and then when I came for the last time, right? So I, I think for me, that might make me feel lonely, and that might make me feel sad, just because of the love that I have for them. Um, and, you know, obviously, I miss my cousins and everything. But for me, my grandma, my grandpa, they're like my parents. So, you know, that's the one thing that I wish I'd be able to do in, in the coming years, to see them again.
0: I mean, when people hear the words family separation, they automatically rush to You know the kids being separated at the border from their parents and yes that's incredibly difficult and incredibly you know ungodly to think of but family separation also happens when people come to this country they're separated from their grandparents they're separated from cousins and families and relatives and those relationships are severed there's no yes you continue to have conversations but at some point you just drift apart and that is almost as painful, right? You're talking about your grandparents. My grandmother and my grandfather—they um, divorced. My grandmother had um, a bunch of kids, and uh, my grandfather, um, you know, went out for cigarettes and never came back and left my grandmother. My my grandfather had a drinking problem, <clears throat> and um, he had a drinking problem, and just decided he couldn't take it anymore, and left my grandmother with a whole bunch of kids. My grandmother with no opportunities, no no way to support all these children, she came to the United States. And that is how you know, our immigration story began with her. She came to New York in the early 80s and she benefited from the Reagan administration's amnesty in the mid 80s. She legalized her situation, her paperwork. Um, But by her coming here, it began um, the chain migration. It became my mother, my aunts, um, and eventually it became that the majority of our family was in the United States. My grandfather um, eventually became sober. He remarried and had other kids and reestablished a relationship with his kids. And for the most part, it was a pleasant conversation, but you can't you can't be a parent over the phone. And there's a lot of trauma in my family um, between all my aunts and uncles, my mothers and my mother and, and my grandfather. And flash forward to 2020, it's all cordial. Everyone you know, is pleasant. Um, my grandmother passed away a couple of months ago and um, it was very difficult for my family. Everybody was heartbroken. It wasn't COVID um, related, she was, just, she was just old and she died of natural causes, but it was a very difficult time. Six months to the day, uh, my grandfather dies. My grandfather lives in, in, in Mexico. Only one member, one member, one child of his could fly to see him and none of his children or the majority of his children um, were able to go visit him to be buried and it's heartbreaking it was incredibly heartbreaking um, to see my family repair its attempt to repair itself and my uncles and my aunts to forge a relationship with my grandfather over the phone or otherwise but being unable to see their father be buried and have to watch it via whatsapp videos was heartbreaking It was very, very difficult. Um, And that happens. That happens where relationships are severed. Aunts can't visit, you know, nephews. Sisters can't visit sisters. People can't go to weddings. People can't go to funerals. People can't see milestones because of that separation. You literally come into this country and you are undocumented and you're trapped. You're here. Yes, you're You have a better opportunity yes your children can grow up and have a myriad of opportunities to educate themselves and then potentially travel back to mexico but you're trapped if you're undocumented you are here and if you leave you run the risk of not being able to come back or attempting to come back and crossing the border again in in dangerous situations and people don't see that and people don't consider that when you talk about family separation it's not just at the border is you are separated from your grandparents in Mexico. I am separated from cousins who can't come here. Um, My mother has has not seen her country in over 30 years. 30 years, she can't go back. And it's heartbreaking, man, it's fucking heartbreaking. And it's like, just to see the callousness with the way politicians talk about it and, um, you know, like. Ted Cruz complaining that immigrants might get stimulus st- you know they get stimulus, and the callousness with you know I can't remember who it was that responded to him He's like no, they're not gonna get stimulus because they don't have social security numbers kind of like haha, you're wrong But it was like yo these are people bro it's like they're human beings like you know what I'm saying, but it's like it's so difficult to kind of see the narrative in the conversation um centered around undocumented people and just the humanity just be sucked out of it right it's like crazy how many years has it been since you've been to mexico
1: like 11 i think yeah wow what
0: would it what would it mean for you to like be able to just go visit your uncle your grandfather and your grandmother and just
1: like i I don't know i mean I, i think it would be everything to me honestly um like I said, they, they raised me with my mom. And when my mom tried to come here the first time, she wasn't successful, but she left me behind with my grandparents for a few months. And, you know, during that time, I got really sick. I don't, really, I don't remember what I got, but I got really, really sick. Um, I was like in and out of the doctor, not like I was malnourished or anything. I was just, I just got sick in that period of time. I don't know what happened. And they were always there for me, you know, like they suffered the same things that I suffered, right? They were going through the pain with me so you know it's it's like my other set of parents you know like I, it's funny like you know m- when when my mom got pregnant um my dad you know he i guess he left that he he left you know he wasn't in the picture and my grandpa he was like super angry at that he was like m- mad at my mom you know so he, he they tell me that he used to say when i was born he was gonna give me away or like throw me away, but then I was born, and you know, he was like the first one at the hospital with my grandma, right? So, you know, it's just, it's just funny to me, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would just love to see them again.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, man. It's um, and I can imagine the pain your mother must have been feeling as well. Your child is in another country, you're forced to leave them, and they're sick, and there's nothing you can do. I mean, I, I we share even that that similarity, and that I'm. I'm my mother had me very young um, I don't know I don't know if I told you this my father was in medical school and he he was in medical school when he got my mother pregnant and when his mother found out um, he was like you're throwing your life away you're having a kid before graduating medical school it's not the right thing to do and I want nothing to do with it so he laughed at my mom he laughed at my mom and he's like whoa yeah my mom basically said I can't be with you so good luck with that and my mother was like, like floored. My mother was a very smart woman, and she's still a very smart woman. And you know, she basically went to my grandmother and said, like, "Hey, I am having a baby." And my grandmother, my beautiful grandmother, was like, "All right, fuck it, <laughs> one more mouth to feed." Like, like you it. know, like there is no, like, there was no, like, no putting my mother out. Pretty there was no, born, right? yeah, there was like no putting my mother out. There was no nothing. She was like, okay. You know,
1: like,
0: yeah, yeah, so um, you know, and then my mother came to the, to New York following my grandmother um and left me with a uh, with an, a relative um when I was three. she came back for me when I was six, so my earliest memories do not involve my mother, they involve the relatives um uh this aunt that I grew up with in mexico um and and even those those things kind of like. You know, like it created this separation between my mother and I. I love my mother to death, but it's like it took years because, like, my first memories—like, think about what your earliest memories are of your childhood—if you can reach back that far, your first memories have somehow involve your family or or an outing or a party. My first memories do not involve my mother; they involved playing with my aunt and like a broken tricycle. And then I remember my mother coming back and picking me up, but those are, she's not part of my earliest memories. You know what I'm saying? I obviously know she would cheat. And that created some trauma in and of itself. Um, But again, those, the sacrifices that families make, man, to come here and to try to make a better life for themselves. And that's not, it's not a joke. That's not something to, you know the humanity of those stories and the people who attempt to come here um gets robbed of them right and 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 we we will see we'll say this over and over again about you know eliminating the stigma of being undocumented
1: uh, of and you know that. like something that kind of adds that to that stigma like it might be you know for everybody's different i guess this is my take on it like all those movies where, you know, where a parent comes over and they leave their kid behind and then somehow they get reunited, right? All those movies tend to have a happy ending, but that's because it's it's Hollywood, right? But that doesn't happen in real life, you know? You might not see your kids for like 10, 20, 30 years, right? You might not be able to ever go back. They might not be able to come here, right? You might get arrested. You might be put in jail for like, I don't know how many years, right? So those movies kind of don't, it's not that they harm. They don't really help because they're not telling the story. So everybody's like, oh, you know, it's OK. You know, and I guess the, kind of the things get equated like real life with movies. And it's not the same. It's not the same at all.
0: Oh, 100 percent. Everything does not have a happy ending, man. Everything there. I've, I've heard horror stories. I um I worked in a documentary called In the Blood. Um, It's about these two baseball players. Um, superstars. One of them actually just signed a three hundred and forty million dollar contract. Oh, is that the one you posted uh, on Instagram? Fernando Tatis. Yeah, he um he was the one half of that documentary, that, and we focused on uh, the multi generational family that created this baseball superstar. And um, his father played in the major leagues. Fernando Tatis Senior played in the major leagues uh, many many years. Um, successful baseball player, but his father. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s grandfather was the first Tatis to come to the United States in the 50s, uh, I'm sorry, in the 60s, to try to make a career in baseball. He comes to the United States. He plays for an organization in the Houston Astros in the minor leagues, never makes it to the big club. Um, He hurts his shoulder in Triple A. never makes it to the majors, and his career is over. So the trauma that he felt, right, not being able to provide for his family, having a newborn in the Dominican Republic and not being able to provide for that newborn um, was too much for him to bear, right? And I'm not making excuses for him and I'm not telling my... Because this is not my story. This is the story that Fernando Tetis Jr., Fernando Tetis Sr. um, and the elder Tetis told us. He said that the trauma and the pain that he felt at being a failure... Um, prevented him from going back to his family and he severed all relationships with that family. He did not see Fernando Tati senior grow up. he did not do anything. And when Fernando Tati senior became a major leaguer and a millionaire for all intents and purposes, the father still did not make any effort to contact him because he was embarrassed that he had that he was a failure as a baseball player he was a failure as a father because he abandoned them and that he he would check on his son sporadically um, and and you know and that's the separation that we're talking about and that happens you don't have to be a millionaire baseball player for that to happen there are people who come here and who fail and who who struggle and that that fear and that embarrassment um forces them to not to to just not Go back for their families and to forget about them and start new families because it's easier right and in this scenario in the tatis scenario it had a happy ending because fernando Tati senior a very religious man very very moral with high moral fiber he went and with the backing of his club said hey i need you guys help um i don't know what happened to my father i don't know if he's alive i don't know if he's dead Um, But with the resources of a Major League Baseball club behind him, they helped him um, put an article in the newspaper saying, hey, Fernando Tatis Sr. is looking for his father. And eventually they tracked him down. There was a reconnection. And this story did have a happy ending. Fernando Tatis Sr. repaired his relationship with his father, who abandoned him. Then Fernando Tatis Jr., who just signed a Major League deal, now grows up with a father. In a grandfather in a full unified family, right he reaps the benefits of a of a happy ending of a reconnected family, but that doesn't happen often i 'm telling you, I know firsthand f- relatives of mine who have abandoned their families and created new families now does, I mean, yes, that doesn't, you know, bode well for them. But it's a sim, it's it's a, it's a symptom of the separation. And the, 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 the feeling of being alienated. And just, it's just a difficult situation, man. It's a terrible, difficult situation that happens time and time again. Um, but anyway, shout out to our moms, right? <laughs> right. Shit, shout, shout out to our moms for fucking for risking everything for it couldn't have been easy right your mom left you for a few months my mom left me for three years it couldn't have been easy to separate i could not stand the thought of being away from my son for yeah. three months six months it would literally physically hurt me
1: and that's how we met you know you were teaching at hayes you were working for mlb right you were sleeping like two or three hours a night <laughs> If you were lucky you were sleeping between classes <laughs> and i remember you telling us like yo i haven't seen my kid in like two weeks man i miss no? him and like, I laughed because I was like, oh, that's, you know, like, not like I'm making fun of you, but I was like, it's no, no, yeah, kind it. of funny, you know, for him <laughs> to say that to us. But I didn't realize like, oh, shit, he really hasn't seen his kid in two weeks.
0: I mean, it was difficult. It was difficult. And and sometimes I put myself in my mother's shoes and and think about how painful it must have been for her and how painful it is to not be a part of your child's life. And yeah. also how difficult life must have been for her to be able to save enough money to go back and get me and bring me back, yep. right? Um, because we did, I didn't come in a plane. I crossed the border. I, I, it, was not, it was not like, oh, first class seat, let's go. Nah, direct flight. Nah, bro, it was no direct flight from Mexico City to New York. It was a harrowing, difficult experience that to this day... We crack jokes about it, but it's like, we cra- no, seriously, I'll tell you this. When I left Mexico City, um, we drove to a border town that I don't remember the name of, but I had my bags like, oh, shit, I'm going to New York. I, I, had,
1: fucking I, had, shit out.
0: I had clothes. I had toys. I had all these, my belongings, because in my head, I'm moving. But it wasn't no moving. My mother's like, oh, the guy come the whoever the hell was running this thing, he's like, All right, throw all your bags out and only take what you can carry. Now I'm like, I'm looking at my mother like, what the fuck does he mean? What does he mean? I'm not throwing my shit my shit out. You know what my little six-year-old six-year-old ass did? What? I said, Okay, I went to the bathroom, I put on Five, six pairs of jeans on my shirt. My mother's (laughs) like, Yeah, you're not going to make it. It's 98 degrees. You need to take that shit off. And I'm like, What the? Why do I got to throw my shit out? But it wasn't a move, bro. It was not a move. I wasn't moving. I was (coughs) attempting to get to a place right i was attempting to get to a place
1: that's pretty funny you put on your jeans
0: <laughs> uh, dude i had every i had toys in my pockets i had toy cars like everywhere i'm like what yeah. do you mean i'm not throwing my shit out and that's how a 6 year old thinks yep right and um it's difficult it's a difficult thing and we joke about it now but it's like can you imagine when like again i go back to my analogy of my son but like can you imagine me telling him all right Pick up everything that you can carry, and we're going to move. We're going to go to a different place. But only what you can carry. Don't worry about your toys. Don't worry about your clothes or sneakers or or none of this shit. Only what you can carry. And I know that that's a unique experience to people who come to this country. Um, it's tough, man. It's tough. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, this is a... I, I feel like this isn't even like a podcast, bro. I feel like this is like a therapy session and I'm like just, just getting yeah. just getting shit off my chest. And like it's uh it's and I guess part of that, part of the charm of this is that is that we're being honest about our experiences. And yes, we're gonna share resources and yes, we're gonna talk about like what's going on, but we're not we're not immigration experts. We're not immigration, we're not lawyers.
1: We're gonna have immigration experts on here. We're, but Great, we're segue.
0: The Great segue. Great um, segue. We're definitely going to have experts in their fields. Um, we have a couple of guests already lined up. Um, some nonprofits. Um, maybe some politicians. Maybe some, you know, some um, ins- celebrities.
1: Maybe some. Celebrity. Oh, one celebrity. One. I'm not going to jinx it, but one celebrity, maybe.
0: Cross our fingers. Um, but again, it's just about like having honest conversations about individual experiences, because every experience is not the same. Every experience is not like mine. My experience is similar to yours, but it's not identical. Right. And we're just fleshing it out. We're fleshing out this, this, you know, this, these people who live under the shadows, these people who you hear about in the newspaper, in the news, we're going to flesh them out. We're going to tell you, look, I was undocumented. Eduardo was undocumented. These people are real human beings, they're real people. You know what I'm saying? They're not just numbers or lack of numbers or lack of social, media. we're like real people, real human beings with real problems whose life is made worse attempting to make it better, right? Because that's why we come here. We come here to make a better life, but it's hard. it's difficult along the way. So anyway, shout out to our moms. Shout out to your, what's your mom's name again? I. Elsa. Shout out to Elsa and Elba. Even our mother's names uh, are similar. God nice, ah, nice, damn it. Nice,
1: nice.
0: Um, shout out to Elsa. Shout out to Elba. We'll talk a little bit about them um, in episode three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's been a very, very pleasant conversation. Um, Eduardo, as always, thank you very much for being honest, for, for sharing your experience, and for um, serving as an example for people to to aspire for more and to know that they are not alone, um, and that things will be, will eventually get better. Um, yep. Any last final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: No, man. We just got to see what Biden does because empty promises and empty promises. We right. We been.
0: gotta we gotta hold them accountable. Hey, we um, can't just believe everything we'll they see, say. We'll see.
1: We might. I don't know. I feel like talking about the citizenship act for uh, for twenty twenty one. It's a lot because there's a lot in that bill. Um, I, don't, I think we need maybe like one episode alone just for that. But there's a lot of things in there that I don't agree with. Like, um, I think I wrote in our rundown, you know, handing um, or helping or ha- handing aid to Central American countries as long as they take care of the corruption and the crime and all of that. But realistically, all of that's going on because of the part that the US has played in that. Right. And to me, that's like a, a big fuck you saying, like, yeah, we'll give you this if you do this. But they, if, they, they're fully aware if, <laughs> that they can't do that. They're fully yeah.
0: aware. Right. Right. Fix all the corruption. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: We're I'm on that. Stop
1: fucking sending back criminals. Like,
0: what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, man. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll definitely discuss it. We'll definitely bring some experts in their fields to talk a little bit about it. We have some exciting guests coming up. Um, but, yes, thank you very much once again. Uh, you have been listening to our therapy session. No, I'm just kidding. Did you uh, you been... <laughs> I did. Don't be blowing me up, man. Listen, come on now. be
1: part of the bloopers.
0: Listen, I have so many different podcasts that I work on, um, I and I'm old, man. I'm 37. I'm not a young man, so uh, <laughs> thank you very much, everyone. You've been listening to the Clashing Identidades podcast. Uh, my name is Roz, and I'm here with Eduardo. Uh, thank you very much for listening thank you very much for for checking us out for listening to us vent about our experiences hopefully we we shed a little bit of light on on you know the the trauma and the experiences of undocumented people in this country um drop a like
1: drop a comment share this shit
0: everywhere everywhere just just reach out reach out to us reach out to us and if you know anybody who might be in a similar situation Send them our podcast, you know. Our uh, goal is
1: to go national at one point.
0: At some at point. point. So um, make sure you uh, check us out on Twitter. At uh, Check us out on Instagram and our YouTube page. Um, we'll be everywhere, wherever you get your podcast, We'll be there. Um, so thank you very much for listening. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Yes, sir. Do your
1: little spin. <laughs> nah. <laughs> that was the first <laughs> episode. <laughs>